Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com. This to me is like the really fascinating material. We don't know what the answer is, but we're looking for patterns. I think we're looking at kind of a type of cosmic alchemy. Still, a lot of people don't know that this technology actually exists. The possibilities here are pretty mind-blowing. We can't just believe that it was the work of It's episode 250. It is. And Rob's here. And I'm here. And it's been an emotional day. I'm glad to end it with this. Yes. Glad to be here with you guys. This is going to be fun. R- Rob, is, Rob is making some life changes. I am. He's, I, uh, I quit my job today and started a new job. It's yeah. terrifying and exciting. Whoa. Yeah. Change yeah. is good. Congratulations, man. Good luck with that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Your conspiranormal brothers are here for you, man. (laughs) (laughs) And we got Seraphiel here. He's off of producing duties tonight. He can just sit back and... I can drink Rob Scotch and chill (laughs) the hell out. I got to drive him home, so I can't get drunk, unfortunately. But uh, So we got an all-star cast, guys. I'm really excited for this roundtable. First up, we've got a guest we had on last year, Richard Haddam. Who uh, graciously hey. agreed to come on? I'm really excited to have to have you, Richard. Uh, welcome back I'm, to the I'm show. I'm excited to be back. I, I'm honored to be back on the 250th episode. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I uh, in 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 all my years of working in TV, I haven't gotten near 250 episodes of anything. <laughs> <laughs> you got to start doing a podcast. God, that's right, man. Maybe. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think you could do it. I really do. Like you come up with just d- <laughs> talk about weird stuff all the time. I mean, it's, it's, it's becoming a lucrative thing these days. Um, I think, I think if I started it? a podcast, my, my <laughs> wife would kill. You think so? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that would, that would be the end of everything. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we're all, 
I think uh, both me and Adam are single. So, uh, yeah, you, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got Timothy Renner. Hello. The, uh, 250. Yeah. 250. Halfway to 500. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, we'll see if we can get there. That's a that's a whole other. It took me. It's taken me seven years to get to this. So let's kick another seven. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we can do it in five. I'll bet. You think we could do it in five? Yeah. That's okay. two weeks off a year for the next five years. Oh yeah, episode five. Podcasting in five years, it'll probably be some kind of like a plug-in sensory experience when people yeah, it'll, be, it'll, it'll be all vr for sure yeah, they'll, get to, be Adam, the they'll get to sit on the couch <laughs> <laughs> you get to drink my scotch too when you're listening and rin collier is here hey everyone and joshua cutchin last but not least Feels like I was. Feels like just fifty episodes ago that I was at your place, uh-huh, out of my yeah. out of my mind, <laughs> <laughs> playing the tuba. That was, that <laughs> yeah. was a fun night. I, I, I barely remember that part. Well, that was over just a little over a year ago, man. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, and, and congratulations, Josh. In case anybody doesn't know out there in the audience, that uh, Josh is now a daddy two times over. Yeah. Two for the it's, price of one. Yeah, it's it's. This is my first uh, appearance since since they've been uh, ushered onto the mortal coil. So it's yeah. uh, interesting <laughs> doing some juggling, but uh, <laughs> I've got some really good support uh, support relatives here that are helping me uh, helping facilitate this. So make the best of it, guys. When was the last and time I you slept? Tell you- I can tell you for sure they do not give you two for the price of one in the hospital. You're paying for them. Oh man, yeah, yeah. No. All right, so I wanted to start this out um, with an article that I that I want to read, and I thought this was interesting. I actually uh, told you guys before I pulled this off of the Astonishing Legends uh, Facebook group and shared it over to Tim over at Strange Familiars Facebook group as well. Um, I have some doubts about this. This is from a Reddit posting. So who knows the the truth, the veracity of this? All we know is that it was just put there. And this is about a near-death experience, which I want to kind of get into a little bit of that topic with you guys. But I'm going to read this, and then we'll go from there. So this is called, After Living 10 Years of a Happy Life, Man Wakes Up and Realizes He Was Unconscious and Dreamt It All. One of the most daunting experiences a human can endure is being close to dying. While some escape the claws of death without experiencing any changes in them, others come back just not the same. There are many theories trying to explain what happens to us when we are dying. However, there is no definite answer. Yet many people candidly share what they felt during their near-death experiences and what effect they had on them. When somebody created a thread on Reddit asking, have you ever felt a deep personal connection to a person you met in a dream only to wake up feeling terrible because you realize they never existed? One user found a perfect place to share his chilling experience. He said that his near-death experience was so strange that it took him three years to recover. So here's the the actual experience. Throw away account because this is really personal. My last semester at a certain college, I was assaulted by a football player for walking where he was trying to drive. Note, he was 325 pounds. I was 120 pounds. While unconscious on the ground, I lived a different life. Uh, 
I met a wonderful young lady. She made my heart skip and my face red. I pursued her for months and dispatched a few jerk boyfriends before I finally won her over. After two years, we got married, and almost immediately, she bore me a daughter. I had a great job, and my wife didn't have to work outside of the house when my daughter was two. She, my wife, bore me a son. My son was the joy of my life. I would walk into his room every morning before I left for work and doted on him and my daughter. One day while sitting on the couch, I noticed that the perspective of the lamp was odd, like inverted. It was still in 3D, but just wrong. It was a square lamp base, red with gold trim on four legs and a white square shade. I was transfixed. I couldn't look away from it. I stayed up all night staring, staring at it. The next morning, I didn't go to work. Something was just not right about that lamp. I stopped eating. I left the couch only to use the bathroom at first. Soon I stopped that too, as I wasn't eating or drinking. I stared at the lamp for three days before my wife got really worried. She had someone come and try to talk to me. By this time, my cognizance was breaking up and my wife was freaking out. She took the kids to her mother's house just before I had my epiphany. The lamp is not real. The house is not real. My wife, my kids, none of that is real. The last 10 years of my life are not real. The lamp started to grow wider and deeper. It was still inverted dimensions. It took up my entire perspective, and all I could see was red. I heard voices, screams, all kinds of weird noises, and became aware of pain, a shit ton of pain. The first words I said were, I'm missing teeth, and opened my eyes. I was laying my ba- on my back on the sidewalk, surrounded by people that I didn't know, lost or freaking out. I was completely confused. At some point, a cop scooped me up, dragged, walked me across the sidewalk and grass, and threw me face down in the back of a cop car. I was still confused. I was taken to the hospital by the cop, since he didn't want to wait for the ambulance to arrive, and given CT scans. I went through about three years of horror depression. I was grieving the loss of my wife and children and dealing with the knowledge that they never existed. I was scared that I was going insane as I would cry myself to sleep, hoping I would see her in my dreams. I never have, but sometimes I see my son, usually just a glimpse out of my peripheral vision. He is perpetually five years old, and I can never hear what he says. Edit. 24 hours after post, never thought anyone would read this. I changed the line so it no longer seems that my two-year-old daughter bore a child. I have never seen Inception or the Star Trek episode so many have mentioned, but I will eventually. I will not do an AMA. I've had many PMs describing similar experiences in three posters. Stating such experiences are impossible. I'd say more research needs to be done on brain functions. Pre-med students don't assume you know everything. If you have asked if they can write a book, screenplay, stage play, rage comic, etc., please consider this tale open source and have fun with it. All right. That's terrifying. First of all, wow. it's just, oh my God, that could be chills. Yeah. That's a, that, that is really incredible and really fantastic. And it's not the first time I've heard it. Um, I, uh, I, I, the only thing I've heard that, that is sort of close to that. And I, I can't recall the book that I read it in, but it was a book about, uh, near death experiences. And it was about, it was, it was about a person whose father had had surgery and came through the surgery, even though at, at one point it looked like he had flatlined, but then he came back and, and was fine. Um, but, but he came back and his personality was a little bit different, a bit more somber. Uh, he was a bit more withdrawn. 
and uh, and years and years later, uh, when 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 this guy's dad, the guy who had the surgery, was was nearing death, she asked him about that surgery, about the last time he was in the hospital, and and he said, you know, you never seemed quite the same after that surgery. And his dad said, well, what I've never told anyone is that I had a near-death experience um, during surgery that day. And his son asked what happened, and he said, well, I had a, I had a life review, and yeah, I've, I've heard about the life review. I, I had one, except I literally relived my entire life. I, I lived 50 years, minute to minute, the equivalent of one minute to one minute, I lived my entire life over again and experienced it from the perspective of everyone in it. Hmm. So it's sort of a mixture of, of both. It's, it's a life review as experienced and talked about in typical near-death experiences, and yet the temporality of it was experienced in such a dramatically different way. And most people who have near-death experiences, you know, they, 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 they go on longer than the amount of time, obviously, that they are maybe technically dead. But this sense that, that you live for years and years and years and you experience it that way, Makes a lot of sense to me. Do you guys, when you dream, like when you're watching TV and you nod off for a second, and then you wake up and you realize that only like a couple of minutes of the TV show has gone past, but it feels like you've been asleep for a long time. Have you guys had that? Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's. A- I think. I think it's. Yeah, I think it's possible. I think it's very, very possible to experience time in a in in a very different way. Uh, uh, I mean, even even from the, the the little bit we get from dreams. Yeah, I've only ever, ever had something like this happen once to me. Where when I was in high school, I had a dream that seemed like it lasted about three weeks in real time. Where um, wow. I was living as like a nomad in the desert. It was almost like a like another life or something. Like I was part of a like a you know like a camel crew that was like traveling through the desert like a caravan. And we would stop and make camp at night and like have fires and eat cook dinner and go to sleep and do the same thing the next day. And it seemed like it lasted about three weeks before I woke up and it was like the next morning and I went to school. Huh. Uh, <laughs> so I, that'd be, well, nothing and, like this guy having your, 10 years, you know. But. Yeah, yeah. Was your, was in your dream, was your experience of that time, was it, when you think back on the dream, mm-hmm. d- does it does it compress, or were you like, no, I remember that one morning was slightly different from the previous morning because we were in a different place and we ate different food and the people mm-hmm. said different things, or was it, or is it less uh, specifically detailed than that? It's not really specifically detailed. It it feels it, it's weird because it doesn't feel like dream memory. Because um, you know, dream memory sort of seems to fade, and when you try to remember things from dreams, they seem kind of yeah. off. In this case, it's it's like um, it's like normal memory, you know. Like I, I can't really remember what I had for dinner like three weeks ago. It, it sort of feels like that. Like I remember some of the days, like specifically, I remember walking into this tent and like you know talking to someone about like you know whatever 
Bedouin type stuff we were talking about. <laughs> but it was like, you know, it was it was weird because it was almost like I was um, like living someone else's life for a That's little while. That's what I was about to say. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I was it, it was almost like I was riding along for it even more than living it myself. It was more passive. Yeah. It's like, it's sort of, it's really hard to explain because it, it felt both passive and active at the same time. Dreams are kind of like that too. Sometimes though, you know, yeah. Kind of just for the ride. You feel like like an observer and like you're sort of in control to an extent as well. You know, the other day, uh, because I've been thinking about this a lot, because I've been reading, uh, I've been reading time loops by Eric Wargo. Have you guys checked that one out yet? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, listen so, to the show he did with Soraya about that. Okay, okay. Well, well. so that stuff's been on my mind, and I woke up in the middle of the night, sort of in the middle of a dream, and and several different things were sort of happening in the dream. And as I, as I tried to remember just, the, just exactly what was happening, for the first time ever, I got the feeling that the events of the dream were sort of all happening at once, and that I was very, very quickly arranging them into a narrative. And this was all something that I realized, like, just as I was waking up, like all those things, like, I, I don't think they were happening in a narrative. I think they were more jumbled and, and yet almost instantly I was dividing them up and rearranging them and ordering them in a way that gave them narrative. It was almost like you were behind the curtain of the dream, I bet. Yeah. Directing it, even though you're, you're in it. Yeah, but but it's that weird compression of time, mm-hmm. and and I, but I, but I also like what you said about sort of being being like living the life, but also just sort of observing it, almost like like you're watching a movie and you're deeply, deeply into somebody else's point of view. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's a really good analogy for how it felt. Yeah, like the third person. Sometimes I'll have dreams where I'm. I'm in the third person and sometimes I have, or I'm viewing myself. Sometimes I have dreams where I'm in the first person and I'm viewing mm-hmm. everything around me. And I've, right. I've definitely had dreams where they're so vivid where I'm sure everybody's had this, where you wake up and it's almost like your reality is still in the dream and reality seems unreal. Yeah. I mean, that's a strange <laughs> feeling. Yeah. Well, I um, mean, you ever if you ever have the false awakening kind of thing happen to you, like I've I've had like three or four tears of that happen to me yeah. in, in a single dream, yeah. and <laughs> it gets really too. frustrating. You know, <laughs> the, only time the only times those have ever happened to me has been multiple tears, which to yeah. me is kind of strange. It's never like it just happens once. It's it's like two or three times where you wake up but you're not really awake. And then you wake up again. You're not really awake. And then you finally wake up and it's like, crap, I got to go work. <laughs> this, that's just, See, like, I, I just like inception. Yeah. I don't, I don't get false awakenings. I get false falling asleep. Like I'll be really tired and I'll be so tired that I'm really concentrating on getting to sleep. And I'll, it'll be like, you know, it'll be 3am and I'll be like, I'm still falling asleep. And then I'll be like, wait a minute. When I was trying to get to sleep, I was laying on the floor of an old West saloon and there was a peacock, so obviously I fell asleep. <laughs> oh, that's weird. Oh, but um, but uh, no, I, I've had a couple of times where I've met someone that I, someone in a dream that I feel is just like, uh-huh. you know, soulmate, sort of someone that you've known for years. I've never really had that sort of time dilation thing. But oh, Josh, you're dreaming about me now. Aww. <laughs> Aww. 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 Um, but um. 
But, uh, you know, the things that I think of, because I, I, I believe I've heard quite a few of these sort of stories. I think there was a mystery universe episode, a couple of, a couple of, uh, years ago that was dedicated just all to these sort of stories. And they're not, they're not as, um, they're not as unexpected or not as uncommon rather as uh, one would think. Uh, but, um, it does make me think about, you know, I, th- I think, uh, I think to the time dilation and altered states of consciousness, you know, time dilation in the DMT experience where it feels like it's been like, you know, 15,000 years and it's obviously been 15 minutes because there's still that episode of the next generation on TV that you're watching. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and of and course think, that's what you're watching. Yeah, exactly. And I also think of, I mean, I think people will hear me say this and they'll think that Josh is, is saying fairyland, 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 but I don't know what fairyland is, but I think that is so tied into this sort of dreamscape, time dilation, supernatural lapse of time in the other world, missing time on UFOs thing. I think this is all part and parcel of the same thing. Um, and, you know, Tirnanog in some, in some uh, traditions was actually literally dreamland. Um, and then, of course, we've got a whole other set of questions about you know, something that Ren's familiar with, you know, this astral projection idea and like, you know, was, was Ren part of a Bedouin walk-in or, or what? I mean, I think that in some ways, I think that the dream state might be one of the linchpins in figuring all this stuff out. Yeah, I know during like out of body experiences I've had, there's some degree of time dilation um, because generally they're they're sort of dreamlike in that uh, you know you can't really tell how much time has passed, and sometimes more time passes than you expect, and sometimes less time passes than you expect. And you know, I've had the to kind of the inverse of this happen during uh, sleep paralysis episodes where. I have sleep paralysis and I managed to notice the time on the clock. And when I break out of it, it's like an hour later or something. So you have like missing time, uh, you know, but right. again, like you're right. Josh, wow. You have all kinds of weird sort of time manipulation going on in these <clears throat> altered states. You can see, well, I'm not sure if it's still up. You could in the past see an example of this on YouTube. Um, there was someone who was doing salvia and mm-hmm. He's smoking salvia and he's out of his mind and it's they're filming him the whole time mm-hmm. and he comes back out of it because when you smoke salvia, it's, it's like five minutes or whatever. It's pretty quick, mm-hmm. depending on uh, the dosage. And uh, he's coming out of it and he's he says to the guy, like, you don't understand. I, ha- I had a whole other life. And he's, you know, he starts trying to tell me he, he still days from the salvia. He can't really explain it too well. But, you know, that's what happened. Like, he's so like freaked out about it. Like he, he just had this whole other experience when he was, you know, out of his mind on salvia. Well, I mean, there was, there was a friend of Joe Rogan's who smoked salvia on a podcast and came out of it and said that he had an entire life as like a mer being like a mermaid, you know, (laughs) some of these, (laughs) some of these, some of these salvia stories that you hear are really terrifying. Like there are some that are like, (laughs) I spent 17 years as a piece of luggage underneath a staircase. The the inanimate (laughs) object stuff is really scary. Yeah, yeah, that's horrifying. My little brother is still dealing with the sort of after effects of a of an LSD trip that he had a couple of years ago, where um, he sort of saw the world start disintegrating around him, and like all of his memories disappearing one by one until he couldn't remember like who I was, and he couldn't remember my face, couldn't remember our, like our dad, and then he said like his very perception of time was like stripped away. And so at least to him subjectively, he felt like he spent an infinite amount of time in this state um, of just like basically sensory deprivation. And, you know, of course, he he's still alive today and he's out of it. But it's it's odd because he's still trying 
in a lot of ways to synthesize what that experience meant to him and, and deal with sort of the after effects of that experience in his life now. So when he did the LSD, was he in like a, uh, in a controlled setting or was this at a party or out in the desert or what was the circumstance? I, I think he was just at a friend's house, uh, alone in a room. I think his other friends, they were tripping too, but they were like watching a movie in the den or something. Mm-hmm. So he ended up just being by himself in like a dark room and, you know, uh, wow. I, and plus That's two, I don't know to if do it was it, actually man. LSD because, you know, uh, you get sold a lot of things that people claim to be LSD and you never really know. I know last time I was sold anything like that, it turned out it was just like, you know, Chinese gray market research chemicals, but Ooh. you never really know <laughs> these days. <laughs> Yay. Gotta get some good yeah. hippie friends, man. Yeah. Yeah. He's, <laughs> I think he, yeah, he used to go to like uh, sort of music festivals and stuff and get stuff, but that, that never really been my scene. Yeah. Me neither. <laughs> I really want to, I really, I want to do LSD, but well, first my wife says I can't do it till I'm 65 <laughs> because, because the, the whole family needs my brain to be functioning for a few more years. Yeah. And, but, but, I, but after reading the Michael Pollan book, I'm like, Oh yeah, well, I really want to try it. But under like, I'm so afraid because I've never done it before, but I want to do it under, you know, the completely controlled, you know, yeah. in the relaxing therapist office with the music playing and, you know, a whole guided thing. But yeah, I, but I really want to do that's, it. That's, I want to see what happens. That's the key. You need to be with people you trust. It's got to be, and you, you got to trust where, where it came from, obviously, as, you know, yeah. like Ren was saying. Yeah. That's what makes LSD hard these days. Like my suggestion would be like mushrooms because yeah. you can't really fake mushrooms. I mean, True. you know, so but right. LSD, yeah, LSD is easy to, you know, get sold something that's not really LSD, but mushrooms, you, you can look at it. Is it a mushroom? Then it might be what you're looking for. <laughs> Does it taste like a chicken right, but, okay. but, you know, because it's organic, though, like you don't mm-hmm. know if you're getting, it's like, you know, not all apples taste the same. Yeah, there's um, different strains and different dosages. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's it's know. really. Well, I got a few more years. It it really <laughs> depends on who you are as a person. Um, if you're a really a, a outgoing person, is dependent on that social interaction. I'd recommend other people. But if you've always kind of been a loner, um, you might really enjoy trips by yourself. Um, you might end up telling the guide to leave you alone. I mean, that's that's yeah. how I was during during my time as a psychonaut, but uh it really it's just really individual thing and that's why, you know, the hippies thought every, you know, it's going to make everything everyone great and everyone's going to get along, but I think it kind of just amplifies who you are to begin with. Yeah. It it really does and it it kind of gives you what you put into it too. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of people, if they go into it thinking I need a guide or I'm going to have a bad trip, then that's kind of what they'll get out of it. So it kind of gives back what you bring to it. When I, when I posted this story guys, uh, to kind of like give a little bit of a skeptical perspective on this. Um, like I mentioned before, we've just got a story that's been dropped on Reddit out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. So you've got, you know, you've got pretty much two choices here. You've got the person just wants to be, it's true. And the person just wants to be anonymous or it's fake. And they want to start a discussion going. And there was, uh, when I posted, I think it was on the strange familiars or it might've been on where did the road go Facebook group, but, uh, someone 
made a point about one of the lines where it said, at some point, a cop scooped me up, dragged, walked me across the sidewalk and grass and threw me face down in the back of a cop car. So this person that commented said, and she had a good point, was that if someone is has a trauma like that, you wait for the EMTs to get there. You don't yeah. move someone <laughs> that's just been hit by somebody that's 200 pounds over their weight, and you especially don't throw them into a cop car. So, Unless it was a campus cop. It, like, yeah, 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 yeah. If, if it, it was just, a campus I mean, cop, those guys are... So it could be still true, but yeah. if they, 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 they definitely didn't uh, follow the protocol. Right. And I thought it was interesting that they also cited that Star Trek The Next Generation episode, which is the inner light, which if you, got on, uh, you guys or many of you guys have seen that, but that's the... Uh, the one where Picard gets zapped by this this satellite that uh, and then he lives a whole other life essentially as this alien species that's about to die he experiences like 40 years or something of another life but as he's still laying there so that was a, that was another reference so i don't know mm. like i said i'm skeptical about the story but i think that it it can lend a good discussion that maybe reality sometimes isn't what it seems in the, yeah. the whole matrix concept of or an artificial world basically uh, it's there's an there's so an excellent episode of adventure time, that, <laughs> <laughs> adventure time that deals with this as well called Tuhoi. <laughs> surprised nobody's brought up uh, jacob's ladder jacob's ladder ben i was, I was gonna bring that up right. yep. mm-hmm. all right I mean, uh, the well, story kind of makes me think uh, just the way the story, the way it uses certain words, like it kind of s- smells like a fake story to me, but ultimately it doesn't really matter because there are yeah. other people who've had similar or described similar experiences. So it's not like an unprecedented thing that this person is claiming to have experienced. And like you said, if uh, you know, it's getting people talking about it, then that's fine. It doesn't really matter if it's true or not. I'm sorry, Tim, what were you going to say? I was just talking about a fantastic episode of the cartoon Adventure Time. <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> it, 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 but show. no, it, it's a it's a very similar thing. The the, the, uh, the one character goes into a pillow fort and crawls out the other side and experiences a whole other life, and then uh, crawls. But or I don't I forget how he gets back, but he has this whole this whole other life. Very similar yeah. story. Yep. There's that whole episode of Rick and Morty as well, where yeah, they actually play an arcade. Yeah, <laughs> they play an arcade game in which they live a, a person's entire life. Oh yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> so let's switch gears here, Josh. Um, yes. Did you get a chance? I don't know if you got a chance to listen to episode two forty nine. I did just post it today, so if you did not get a chance to listen to it. But, uh, no, I, I did. I downloaded okay. it right as I walked out the door. And, uh, okay. <laughs> um, excellent, excellent. Yeah. Um, no, I, I thought so. L- let me it's, it's funny because because the other guys, <laughs> the guys haven't heard it. I had Chris Wolford yeah. on the last show, um, and we talked a lot about the TTSA <laughs> stuff. He has been described by some as the TTSA fanboy. Um, I, you know, 
I heard his his side of the story. He knows that I somewhat disagree with him. We're cool with that. But I like I like uh, it's I like to have fairness on this show. And it's funny as I was dropping that in the week between recording it and today, Josh has been getting into it with the rest of the, with, with some other people <laughs> online on like Twitter. Um, so yeah, that's the background to what we're talking about. So I, I, I tend to get along pretty well with Chris. Um, yeah. and he, he knows he loves where you. I feel. And yeah. Yeah. I, I, we're, we're pretty amicable and yeah. because he is not like some of these TTSA people are look, if they really feel like there's something that's going to come out of or has come out of this whole Tom DeLong thing. Um, or as John Tenney pointed it out, his name is an anagram for dong omelet. Um, <laughs> um, it, 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 dude, if, if he, if, if he or anybody else thinks that that's fine, where my problems are with the TTSA crowd is the, us versus them ism that they keep on promoting. And there was a, there's someone who had written an article and it was basically just this, this entire article slamming people who aren't buying into the TTSA narrative and how you're going to be left behind because you're all a bunch of dinosaurs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's just, you know, I mean, smugness and overt self-confidence coupled with vague threats about who's going to be remembered for what they said after disclosure. That doesn't look good on anybody. I don't care who you are. <laughs> yeah. And of course I posted this and then I had people saying, you know, you're, you're sowing the kind of, the kind of, uh, the kind of, you know, a discontent that you're, that you're railing against. And I'm like, no, no, the, why aren't you tolerant of my intolerance argument doesn't work here, folks. I'm pointing this out. Because, <laughs> because there are these people who are saying this and the author jumped in and got into an ad hominem thing where he was, uh, he was posting pictures of children's storybooks on witchcraft and saying that that was much more my speed and just, which I mean, is, 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 is again, sort of displaying his ignorance about the, the research in sci for the past, you know, several decades, which compared to what TTSA has done to prove anything, I think pales in comparison. I think anybody's really, you know, fluent in both would have to admit that. <laughs> yeah, um, I was gonna say I got more receipts in the occult than than TTSA has provided. So I know it's just it it, it just makes it just boggles the mind. But like my, my original post was saying that this TTSA post seemed less about objectively looking at what has happened and more about future promises, more about us versus themism. It looked, it, it read like a political or a religious screed. And so I did a little experiment that I, I kind of want to do it for the whole article, but I did a little experiment where I subbed out, um, heaven's gate for TTSA <laughs> Marshall. Marshall Applewhite for Tom DeLong and Ascension for Disclosure, and it 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 this, this stuff reads like a like you know cult, like you know oh, cult like, like 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 the ramblings of someone involved in a cult. They're apologizing for what happened. They're saying, oh, they're planning on doing this. They're waiting till the time is right for that. The reason that they said something was going to happen and didn't happen was because of this and that. You know, it 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 it, it there is a cultish underpinning to a lot of these people. Chris isn't like that. Chris has more faith in in TTSA than I do, but he understands that where I'm coming from is that I yeah. look. I, 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 I would love for something to come out of this. I just I haven't seen anything that really seems that substantial or ground shaking ground shaking yet. And all we're getting done is being issued these false or not maybe not false, but these these uh, these uh, 
well, you have false promissory notes about what's going to happen. And I just haven't seen anything that has happened. So why should I believe that something's going to happen? Yeah. So it's basically like when prophecy fails kind of mm-hmm. situation. Somebody on Twitter, I can't remember who it was. They read the thread. And they're like, these people should really read when prophecy fails. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I think you. they would I think it would serve them well. Hey, Ren, uh, while Josh was talking there, I ran um, Tom DeLong through the secret cipher. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Be, be half known. Hey, that fits really well. Be <laughs> half known. Uh, Richard, we were talking a little bit before that we started the show. Do you have any thoughts on, on any, any of this? Kept up with some of this? Well, I mean, I guess like everybody, I'm trying to fit it in to, to something that makes sense to me. Uh, if you just sort of strip away the, I mean, it's almost like what Josh was saying, like, like kind of strip away the, the UFO angle and just think about someone saying, I have information. It's going to change the world. I'm the gatekeeper to it. You can be a part of it, but you've got to get on board. Part of it sounds like religion. Part of, I, I, I'm curious about the money angle. I yeah, mean, is yeah. this is this group looking for investors? Yes, because there's there's a little bit of a of a sort of you know get in on the ground floor, don't get left behind aspect to it that sounds like they're trying to raise money. Yeah, they are. They are. You can buy into it. Well, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's. And they're going to build you know, a spacecraft. I'm sort of, <laughs> yeah, my feeling is like if if there is a truth to be revealed, it's going to get revealed, whether they're doing the revealing or not. So I'm I'm happy to just kind of sit around and wait for something to happen. But the thing is, so far nothing has really happened. I'm not just talking about with them. I'm talking about with anybody. I mean, mm-hmm. my argument is always, you know, if if there are, for instance, crashed discs. Well, how is it that magically the government are the only people who have access to them? Wouldn't these things be like, you know, if, if they're physical and they can crash, wouldn't they also be crashing in places where the govern the forces of government were not the first to respond? I mean, ultimately, shouldn't there be some of this shit laying around, you know, where anyone can get their hands on it? But no, somehow, only only you know the 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 rich or the powerful or the government has access to these secrets, whereas everybody else experiences UFOs in this really deeply weird individual personal way that's yeah. more psychic than physical. Right. We seem to be talking about two entirely different things. Yep. If, there's, if there are nuts and bolts or if there are, you know, if there are actual organic living creatures that physically inhabit space and can be here... That almost feels like even if that were revealed to be true, that would have nothing at all to do with most of what goes on in Jacques Vallée's books. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think that that the reason why you're noticing that dichotomy, I think, is because it exists. And my sort of thoughts on the nuts and bolts angle is that that is basically just an invention um, to be used like for purposes of perception management. I mean, we if you if you've ever seen Mirage Men, I mean, you know how this was used basically to yeah. cover up for you know actual secret weapons technology that was being developed um, because you know UFO researchers were actually you know observing real 
aircraft that you know experimental aircraft and stuff and they and they needed to they knew that that information would get out to foreign powers through these ufo books and they needed to muddy the waters um so and and plus two i mean we can't ever forget that most of the roswell narrative comes from bill moore and bill moore was in the pocket of you know osi like he was one of the people that they were feeding information to right so you know i was just going back and listening to um the conspiracy normal episode today with Nick Redfern and, and thinking about, uh, about the, the, his book, final events about how the, mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote crash at Roswell. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but like there wasn't like a crash disc, right? Like it was basically like a bunch of debris. Like there were, there, right. there were two different sites, supposedly. Okay. This is how the, the story goes. And, Let's just the crash it. at Corona thing yeah. that uh, Stanton Friedman. Yeah, you, you've got yeah. the field where Mac Brazel's field with all the stuff in it, and then supposedly, what is it, fifty miles away, there was this mm-hmm. uh, craft that the uh, what is he like an archaeologist or whatever when his students mm-hmm. stumbled across with three dead bodies, one was or one was alive, or that's how the story goes. So that, but this side, this side with the bodies, was there like more of an intact vehicle crash there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So that's right. the story, right? Because the that's field the of debris, like, I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat that you know, the, basically, like what the Collins elite thought that this was sort of um, like alchemical debris, and it was put there for a reason. Like you talk about the Jack Parsons and uh, Babylon yeah. working and all that stuff, and because the humunculus. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that's sort of what I believe about a lot of this stuff like it, like we were talking earlier about it whether or not it's all just paranormal or if there's a physical element and I think it's kind of both. I think that it is paranormal in nature but that it can basically manipulate things on, to such an extent that it can create say bodies, physical bodies to to muse in the real world and move around in or you know a physical craft. Um but it's being sort of created on the fly as it needs to. Well, th- this reminds me of something that uh, Jacques Vallée obliquely told uh, Red Pill Junkie uh-huh. um, that was basically kind of getting at this um, sort of imp- idea of like an impulsive alchemy that stores sort of baked into the universe. Because mm-hmm. um, I think I think it was one of those things where Red Pill came up with some sort of uh, thing about saying, you know, would you say that perhaps there's some sort of impulsive alchemy <laughs> in the universe? <laughs> and Valet said something like, like, you know, that's exactly along the lines of what I was thinking. So it didn't really elaborate on it, but you know, this idea that there is some sort of uh, alchemical te- creation of actual technology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's, that was the impression that, that I got when I was reading Valet's analysis of the metamaterials and that, you know, here are actual physical materials that supposedly came off of craft structured craft, like real physical craft. Um, and what they found was that there wasn't anything unusual or rare about the elements or the, the metals or whatever. It was all you know, common earthly materials. It's just that they had strange isotope ratios that were naturally occurring. So there was something odd about them almost. And, you know, my theory here is that these things are basically put together from raw materials on the fly as needed and then dissolved back into the environment when, you know they need to get rid of them. So, so okay. So what, what you're what you're saying is just so I understand because I'm a, mm-hmm. I, I might be a couple steps behind here is that mm-hmm. some sort of 
some sort of energy or intelligence mm-hmm. um, uh, sort of calls together the physical matter it needs in the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, in a weird way, like almost like ectoplasm or, mm-hmm. or weird apports or something. Mm-hmm. And, and then, and then uh, it is, it is used or manipulated for whatever the purposes are at the moment. And then when that uh, impulse or that task or whatever is done, there mm-hmm. is some physical residue sometimes. Yeah, because I mean, we we definitely know that that UFOs leave physical evidence. Um, you know, you have these metamaterials supposedly, but you also have things like burn marks. Um, they leave marks on the environment, and you know, in some cases, I mean, they have weight to them and mass. So there's there's some sort of physicality there, and it's it sort of I, I think. Oh, go ahead, Richard. No, I was going to say, I, I definitely, you know, uh, I've, I've heard a lot about the burn marks and stuff like that mm-hmm. that seemed to indicate an energy of some sort was there, whether it's, I mean, the degree to which it's physical, I guess you could argue. But then, I, I mean, mm-hmm. it is funny how this all comes down to, I mean, I think what we were almost talking about before we started, which is <laughs> paranormal Bigfoot, mm-hmm. uh, but also poltergeists and all kinds of things, sort of the sort of the invisible and and non-material uh, acting with intention upon the, I mean, that's what a poltergeist is. Mm-hmm. It is something non-physical acting upon the physical. And so I guess these are just ranges of degree. Yeah. And, and the Bigfoot thing is what I was about to just bring up that, um, cryptids, uh, in particular, Bigfoot exhibit both properties of like physical creatures and that they can affect the physical environment around them. They can make noise. Uh, they leave footprints, but then again, too, they also exhibit paranormal attributes, like being able to just vanish into thin air. So, Josh. Yes. Rumor has it that you, you are reading Rebirth of Pan right now. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not too far deep into it. But, uh, yeah, it's... Um, I, <laughs> I all, put the call All of out this is about. coalescing around exactly what we're talking about. Both the cryptids the, and the... this this cosmic alchemy creating physical Did he talk about that in the book? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, that's, yeah. I mean, I mean it's, 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 it's kind of interesting because, um, you know, if you read a lot of that book now, some of it in terms of the, what people have been saying feels a little bit more quaint. Yeah. Um, and, and we, we discussed that. We really got into that on this episode coming up, but it, I mean, it's nice. exactly kind of the stuff we're talking about. I mean, yeah. I mean like it, it with, with the benefit of however many decades there have been between now and that book, it's like, Oh yeah, of course this is what, but like for, like for some, like for 76 or something like that. Um, or maybe it was later than that. We didn't, anyway, we didn't catch that. Somebody, you say? Did you ask when the book came out? Yeah, I was, I was trying to remember when the book came out. It's 83 um, or 4, I think. Okay, so so not quite 76, but for somebody to have had a lot of these ideas back in the early 80s, yeah. I mean, holy cow, that, that's some, some real insight. Um, I, I think that it goes off the rails towards the end. Yeah, yeah, there's um, a lot I had a problem with, but it was just really fascinating <laughs> yeah. how much it influenced but, all these ideas. But, but, the, but there is a lot of it that uh, he was definitely ahead of his time in the way that he thought about a lot of it. Do you want to give a little bit of background on it and, and how it uh, influenced these ideas, like exactly these things we're talking about right now? Just a quick synopsis? Well, yeah. So, I mean, so the, the, the quickest way to put it is that there was 
Brandon had an idea that a lot of these manifestations that we find are the result of some sort of greater sort of Gaian earth force that's trying its best to communicate with human beings. And that's the reason that you see a lot of symbolism in the paranormal is because it's trying to convey ideas through symbolism. And he actually sort of went to the, to the extent of saying that um, anomalous artifacts or artifacts that have discrepancies that normally lead people to think that their hoaxes are actually sort of generated um, spontaneously by this this force and, and <laughs> deliberately buried in the ground to be discovered as part of a way of trying to communicate these messages, um, which is sort of, you know, like you, like you said, it's very much like this sort of spontaneous alchemy idea. Well, what was that, uh, our, our favorite quote from that Barry book about the uh, the foot not being formed all the way? Yeah, um, it was uh, a zoologist from uh, from uh, the Baltimore Zoo who said it's almost like they these uh, some of these three toed Bigfoot tracks. It's almost like they they forgot to uh, to finish the feet, or it's like they were just sort of hastily cobbling together the feet as sort of an afterthought. Um, and if you look at these three toed footprints, I mean that's absolutely what they look like. They look like a real uh, half assed <laughs> version of a Bigfoot print. They look goofy. Yeah. Weird. Really you know, that weird. even sort of syncs with um, uh, James Merrill's Changing Light at Sandover, because in that, um, it's uh, Merrill is talking to uh, one of the spirits in the Ouija board, and he asked him about the flying saucers, because it was topical when Merrill was writing the, the poem. And one of the, um, the spirits says, uh, we don't know what the flying saucers are. Um, they seem to be from the earth. Uh, they're sort of like bees like packets of um, living information. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, <laughs> wow. that's sort of what I, I tend to think of when when you said that about the this being some sort of earth energy attempting to communicate. <laughs> and everything falls silent. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Richard, aren't you, uh, so you're in Pasadena, so you're like, in Jack Parsons' old stomping grounds, aren't you? Yeah, I'm just about a mile away from where, from Orange Grove, uh, uh, you know, which is the street where he and L. Ron Hubbard and all the other uh, 1950s, uh, you know, cool, crazy, eccentric people uh, used to hang out. In fact, Parsons is still a big building. I mean, right off the route of the Rose Parade, there's a big, you know, Parsons building. So I see his name every day. He's very much a presence here. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Really? Wow. Yeah, but I mean, it's an engineering <laughs> firm. So yeah. it's just like, yeah. you know, it's like seeing, you know, Northrop or something or Lockheed. Yeah. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Orfeo Angelucci, if we could, because this. Uh, Ah, this is one another that, local boy. Yeah, this is one that intrigues me, and I kind of reading through some of uh, Greg Bishop and Adam Go Rightly's book, The A for Adamski, and it I really felt like Angelucci was one of those guys that he, I mean, he was a contactee, but I felt like he actually was willing to admit that there was a sense of unreality to it, that it wasn't all the nuts and bolts. It was much more spiritual in nature for him. Yeah. Well, if you read that book, his first one, it, it, it starts out sort of sounding and feeling like a, uh, you know, one of the more 
I, I want to say classic UFO narratives where a guy comes down and he's got a science fiction name and he rides in a spaceship and, and he it takes Orfeo on board and they, they, you know, they travel throughout the galaxy and see other worlds. But, but the further it goes, the more, uh, um, almost, uh, Christian, uh, uh, diction and iconography and, and symbology sort of comes into it. It'd be, it almost begins to feel like a religious tract. And, and of course, a hallmark of the contactees was, was sort of a, well, also felt very Christian in that it was, you know, here's a warning and we come to you benevolently from the sky and, and, but we come with a warning to change your behavior. And, and it was, um, so, so he, he, his tale. And then the one that followed, uh, in the second book, uh, I think it's, Oh, I've got a oh, son, of, son of the sun. Uh, it, it sort of lives in that world, but, Apparently what set him apart from the other contactees was he never really came up with anything physically. There were no photographs. Uh, there were no, he didn't try to provide a lot of physical proof. He just told his story and, and uh, if you believed it, great. And if not, that was cool. Yeah. But it is strange when you, when you live right near where this stuff took place. Cause I, again, that's something that I, I drive past all the time and I drive underneath the bridge where these contacts took place. Uh, and the bridge now spans a freeway. And every time I drive by, I kind of look at it and go, wow, there's where old Orfeo, you know, <laughs> had his weird midnight uh, encounters. Um, so I, you know, it, it is, it, it's, it's odd. It's hard to know what to make of it. And it's even harder to know what to make of the fact that so many of these contactees were in the same decade and the same few years in the same geographical spot. Uh, I mean, were they, were they copying each other or, or were they influenced by each other or was something else going on? I, I don't know. Yeah. The Christian element of something of that is exactly what I was talking to somebody on Twitter about this weekend about how, um, cause we were talking about injured cold and about how, you know, one of the first things, uh, injured cold says to Woodrow Derenberger is like, don't be afraid. And <laughs> be not afraid. Yeah. Be not afraid. You go back to the Bible and that's exactly what angels always said when they would first appear. Cause they were always yeah. terrifying. And if you even read the descriptions of the angels, it's like, you know, uh, basically a guy comes down out of the sky in a giant beam of light and says, you know, don't be scared. I've got all these messages for you. And I want you to go and tell everyone the good news. And it's like, it's exactly the same as like most contactee narratives. It just, and even, even down to the Christian elements, because in Injured Cold's case, you know, he was Christian and he told Woodrow Derenberger that all the people from Lanulos were Christians as well. <laughs> which, which did you know That's that, so great. did you know that Injured Cold died recently? Oh yeah. Yeah. I saw that uh, Aaron Gullius posted. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, what, no. What is this I'm hearing? I, I never even got invited to the funeral. <laughs> so, okay. So Darren Berger's daughter continues it on apparently. And she posted on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, it's Facebook back in September. She said, she posted this just in, I just received two visitors carrying some devastating news. Indrid cold age 92. Demo Hassari, Hassan and Carl Ardo died today. When I have more info, I will pass it along. 
and apparently there was never <laughs> any more info. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what, what 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 more info is there going to be? He's dead. <laughs> yeah. He's going to come back with the space brother. <laughs> yeah, I mean, according to what Gulia said, like, uh, you know, injured cold gets this sort of um, folk pop culture kind of representation now as an almost like sinister entity. Which, you know, thanks, Richard. That's probably largely in part of the <laughs> movie that you wrote. Uh, You're yeah, welcome. Yeah. And in, uh, but in reality, he was pretty much like a benevolent, almost like angelic figure. You know, he was uh, apparently like a very close family friend. You know, he would come over all the time and uh, hang out with Woodrow Derenberger and his daughter and, you know, uh, apparently remained a family friend, uh, at least according to Woodrow Derenberger's daughter. Uh, he still visited her even after um, Woodrow died. So, uh, I mean, who knows? But yeah, that's, that was odd to see age 96. Like, I just, I love that she knows his birthday. I know. I, 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 it, it really, I, every time you hear someone say that, that there is something about the phenomenon that is intentionally trying to confuse and, and mislead, that's what it always feels like. It, I mean, it, it is so strange because I don't know that, I mean, I guess that Woodrow Derenberger always felt that there was a physical reality to this guy, but what possible, you know, it's very hard to share delusions or fantasies or hallucinations that are wholly created with a mind within the mind of a single person so if his daughter is involved in this, mm-hmm. is she? Is it a total lie? And if it is, to what possible purpose? And and if it's not, is there some aspect of physical reality to it, or or is it more emotional? Is it just, hey, this is what my dad believed, and people said he was wrong, and so I'm going to jump onto his narrative to defend him. And you can come up with a whole lot of family situations where that dynamic plays out. Yeah. Well, there was apparently some physical reality to injured cold because both uh, Woodrow Derenberger's wife uh, met him on multiple occasions. Uh, you know, his daughter met him. So there was at least a person who Woodrow told them was injured cold and played the part. Now, I don't know if you, we'll never know the, the real truth behind that, but um, I feel like his wife wouldn't just, I mean, maybe she was just making the story up too, but I, I feel like there were people other than them that also saw, you know, this, this character injured cold, like entering and leaving their house. So I don't know. I've often thought about that, about whether or not there was someone who was taking advantage of Woodrow Derenberger by pretending to be, you know, this alien. Right. You know, I mean, it borders on the men in black, you know, sometimes, you know, right. it's too late to find out, but I, I, I do wonder to what degree uh, Whitley Strieber's wife Anne experienced his experiences? I mean, I know she mm-hmm. she was on board and and you know was emotionally and professionally supportive of him, but but I I I don't know. I mean, I don't know unless I've missed it. Unless you guys know, did she ever report a, 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 any sort of visual or tactile experience? 
I don't think she ever saw the visitors, at least the way Whitley Strieber describes them. I think most of the corroboration on that comes from people who also stayed at the cabin, like people who Whitley Strieber knew, and uh, his son. I know his son had some encounters with them. Oh, really? That 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 were that felt physical, not just psychic. Yeah, one of the one of the very first um, sort of stories in communion, and the thing that makes I think scares Whitley really badly is when his son says that there was you know a, a large owl in his room the night before, like watching him while he slept. All right. Yeah. Wow. And I guess that now has and has his son uh, has he come out in any public way and talked about anything? I don't. Think I don't so. know. I think I looked that. Or go ahead, Adam. I don't think so. I don't think he ever has. Yeah, I think they kind of kept. Him. I think I looked for that a couple of years ago, and I don't think he really has come forward with anything. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, Tim, Josh, you guys got any thoughts on any of this? Tim, you've been quiet. <laughs> I'm too I'm, quiet. I'm a bit. I'm a bit out of my depth with with uh, <laughs> this stuff. Um, I've seen some. I've seen some Whitley Streber uh, blowback online the past couple of weeks and uh oh is this because of the uh unknown country the diana pasoka interview actually before that okay. um yeah there was a mainstream article comparing him to you know saying that he was sort of the heir apparent to stephen king and then his uh oh right yeah um and just it's amazing to me how many people completely write him off and my two things that i keep on coming back to are number one You'd have to be hard pressed to believe that he doesn't believe what happened to him, mm-hmm. um, because he he literally threw his. I mean, unless he was so out of ideas that he decided it was more uh, it was more uh, lucrative to throw his career away. Um, because you know, even as sort of a narrative that has internal logic, communion isn't that. Um, so, uh, so that, that's the one thing that I come back to. And the other thing I keep on coming back to is Jeffrey Kripal is a lot smarter than I am. And Jeffrey Kripal <laughs> seems to find, seems to find value in, uh, in, in Whitley's thinking and Whitley's, uh, work as well. So, um, I just wish that, you know, there'd be some more nuance in the discussion. Well, Whitley's a fascinating character too, but, and, and not even because of the communion stuff or the visitor stuff. Like he has had some strange things happen to him during his life that he doesn't really talk a whole lot about, but has dropped little hints here and there. Like his, yeah, 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 you're right. His involvement with the process church, um, his sort of missing summer, uh, that he went through when he was in Europe, um, why he was over in Europe in the first place that that whole thing is kind of weird. Like he, you know, isn't, he's never really been fully clear. He's, he was also a big, he was a follower of Gurdjieff. So he has sort of a, a relationship with the occult. Um, I, I'm not, I don't know if I would call him an occultist, but definitely it's tangential to it. Yeah, he was and, really um, into the transcendental meditation. I remember reading that in communion. Yeah. And Gurdjieff goes beyond that a little bit, but right. um, you, and then you have um, the stuff that might have happened to him when he was a kid, because yeah. he talks about maybe have been he may have been subjected to experiments in traumatizing children in order to bring out latent psi like capabilities, and he's not the only person that has reported that sort of thing being done to them as a child. So that narrative isn't wholly 
um, just something he said. I've heard that other places, and he was in the right kind of time and place for that type of activity to have occurred. Yeah, he strongly implies that in uh, in the book that he and Kripal wrote, uh, The Supernatural. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really jump out at me until the second time I read it, but but he does because he's so. I mean, he's a really good writer, and but but he he tends not to. So sometimes he doesn't get really specific. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. He sort of he sort of you know implies things, and I'm not quite sure why that is because it doesn't necessarily. Uh, you know, make him sound more credible or it doesn't feed that thing in a reader where you want him to go on this date at this time, this thing happened to me, God damn it. And I stand Mm -hmm. by it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Certain things he does, but others he's more circumspect about. And that was one of them that he was, you know, literally like put in a Skinner box, you know, and subjected to, uh, yeah, just what you said, these, these strange experiments that either, that that affected him one way or another, either provoked something in him that resulted in his ability to be more open to a spectrum of information of which these visitors are a part, mm-hmm. or it drove him nuts. Yeah. I think it's probably the former rather than the latter, because um, this is something that, that um, Jason Horsley has talked a lot about. But the idea that that trauma is a sort of gateway into these type of um, encounters and experiences, um, you know, we were talking at the beginning of the the conversation about how drugs can also be a gateway into this. Um, but trauma is another way. Um, so be that trauma in the form of like near death experiences or just, um, you know, childhood abuse. Um, a lot of kids who suffer abuse as a kid uh, end up having like sleep paralysis or out of body experiences. Yeah. I mean, you have the whole Kenneth ring, like encounter prone personality thing. Right, right, right. But that's tough because drugs and, and trauma are, 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 are gateways to a lot of things, including mm-hmm. psychological states that are post trauma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're totally right. It's tough. I mean, and, and in no way am I dismissing it. I'm just saying that it's, unfortunately these things are so close that these, these two parallel lines are so close to each other mm-hmm. that it, that it almost, it, it, it almost obscures rather than clarifies, uh, uh, the, you know, the truth. Mm-hmm. Let's switch gears a little bit and let's get into a topic that Tim has been talking about, uh-uh. uh, which I think Richard, <laughs> you'll find this kind of interesting. I don't know if you've heard of this, but, uh, the phenomenon of flannel man, <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> so we have a, we have a newbie to this, Tim. Well, it is mentioned in Mothman Prophecies, the book. Wait, what? What is it called? Flannel Man? Not yeah. by that name. Not by that name. Keel uh, talks about it as uh, I, I don't know if he calls it a uh, bedroom invader in a checkered shirt. I I don't know what the particular verbiage he uses. He does not say flannel man. Yeah, Flannel Man is something oh, I actually okay. picked up. <laughs> I but, love it. All right. But never, nevertheless, these, these entities were appearing to people. Keel kept a whole file on them called uh, Checkered Shirts or something. Someone got me that information recently. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I brought it up on the podcast very early on my podcast, Strange Familiars, because my wife had seen, had, had woken up and, and seen the, uh, this I, I say flannel man as if it's one. There, there are different things that are all wearing 
flannel shirts or, or checkered, you know, they tend to be wearing red checkered shirts, although some different colors. And, uh, I, wow. I talked about it and things just went nuts. I get, I mean, I get constant, uh, influx of, of flannel man witnesses, people telling me, yeah, I never knew anybody else saw this. Oh my God. I, I, well, I don't remember it from off hypotheses, but again, that thing is a, you know, that thing is chock full. So, mm-hmm. So now, now what, and, and what is the, the, to tell me sort of the archetypal flannel man, uh, encounter. Uh, usually most often someone will wake up, uh, they are sure they're not in sleep paralysis. They're moving around. Uh, often they will go leave their bed and get a cup of water or something, but not always. And, uh, they will see a man, uh, usually in their house. He's dressed like a lumberjack. Uh, usually it's a, a red, <laughs> red checkered shirt, sometimes a beard, sometimes no beard. They, they, they describe the look different. You know, color of the hair differs. Uh, some, sometimes they s- describe him as short and stocky. A lot of people say it's like, like really tall, like up to seven feet tall and a big, big guy like that. But, uh, that tends to be the prototypical one. Although I'm, I'm getting some, you know, different ones now where people are seeing them outside and so forth. But, uh, that's, that, that's by far the most and common one. Is it um is it considered uh like malevolent or uh, friendly? So what most feeling people, is associated. Most people are shocked because you know someone's there who shouldn't be there. But yeah, they said generally it's it's pretty neutral. There are a couple people who were like, now my wife screamed like, but she said she screamed just because there there was a dude there who shouldn't be there. She she said that he looked like caught. Like like shocked that she she could see him or something like that, and that's what a lot of people oh. describe. Like, like like he looks like oh you can see me kind of thing. Um, I I've talked to witnesses who have touched him or been touched by him. I I interviewed a woman yesterday who uh, pulled his beard, <laughs> and so it's a, it's a very physical thing when it's physical, but then it's then wow. It's- I got to tell you, I don't know that I've ever heard of this or it ever kind of you know. Uh, registered, but but this is this is really strange, and I, I'm trying to figure out the significance of the the checkered or plaid shirt. Like, what what does that even sound like? Like, I don't even know if this is. Like, I, I have gone. Through, yeah, I've gone through like like. Uh, so at first, I thought like this is some archetype of like the American experience or something that you know, like the the the, the working you know, manifest destiny, lumberjack, Paul Bunyan, you know, archetype. Right. Right. And then I moved, you know, I kind of moved to like, Oh, maybe this is some sort of, you know, uh, just a watcher of some sort that, you know, why he chooses that outfit. I don't know to like now. And maybe it's just because I'm in the middle of, you know, I'm up to my neck in, in, in wild man stuff with the book, Josh and I are writing, but now I feel like it's, He's a wild man, but he's like the in-between. He's not, you know, as wild as the Bigfoot wild man, but he's this, you know, lumberjacks work in the woods. They're, they're you know, they work with trees. They're this sort of uh, in-between, you know, b- bridge between us and the and the uh, the real wild man, which is which well, is Bigfoot. And, and Paul Bunyan was right. a giant, so, you know. There you go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but do these, are these international? Are they, uh, do they span history going back? you know, even further that you know of so far, or we don't know yet. The oldest I found is an account from miners in Kentucky in the forties. 
who there was a mine collapse and they said a portal or a doorway opened up in the side of the mine. A guy dressed in a red flannel shirt and jeans walked out, <laughs> told them, don't worry, you'll all be rescued. It'll be OK. Walk back through the portal. Uh, it closed. They looked. They tried to find you know where he went. And and, you know, he he just had disappeared and uh, they were rescued. And they didn't tell the story until like the 80s and newspaper articles in the 80s. Some of these miners started talking and and telling this account. So that's kind of like the earliest one I think I found. I'm, I'm, there's a vague one, like a newspaper article about a ghost in in Platt or something, uh, or checkered. I forget what it says. That that is a little earlier than that, but it's you know it's, I'm, it's hard to tell if it counts or not. Tim, do you wow, remember? This is which fantastic. Uh, this is my new favorite thing. I got to hear more about <laughs> this dude. Tim, do you know which year? 1940s, like because the 1940s uh, are a very important decade. So. I, I want to say early, but I mean, without digging up the report. Is it know. post uh, post Trinity test or pre Trinity test? Dude, I, I can't even honestly. I mean, yeah. did any of you guys watch the, the third season of Twin Peaks? No, I heard some people have been telling me it was uh, OK. The mine explosion was uh, December 26, 1945. It was it was the, the Belva mine disaster. So Hineville, Kentucky. Uh, that's Trinity test was July. Well, where, so where, 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 are you, where are you going with that, Ren? Where are you going I mean, with that? <laughs> anyway, dude, I don't know. I just been reading a lot of Kenneth Grant. I just watched the third season of Twin Peaks like a couple months ago. <laughs> I mean, there's a part where like basically after the Trinity test um, in the in the new Twin Peaks, like um, these lumberjacks appear um, and start traveling along the countryside, like reciting this weird poem. Um, it's just, I don't know. What? I mean, yeah. Wait, 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 they're reciting a weird poem. Yeah. Um, let me see. This is in twin peaks. Yeah. The new one. Have you guys yeah, not had people in three of twin peaks yet. Yeah. I've had people tell me this. Oh, oh, I didn't. Oh, I thought this was, uh, uh, oh yeah, he's wearing he's wearing flannel too. Um, oh, right. yeah. What is the poem? This is the water and this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eyes and dark within. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> do you have yeah. A, do you have an occult interpretation of that? I don't know, man. This stuff is getting really twisty because like all of the Twin Peaks stuff, okay, is all basically Kenneth Grant fan fiction, right? It's because Mark Frost read like the Typhonian trilogies and said this would be like a great backdrop for a TV show. Um, Really? Yeah. I mean, I don't know this for sure, but almost every aspect of the Twin Peaks like mythology is literally like whole cloth from Kenneth Grant's writings. Um, and it's even more clear in season three because it's like, I mean, there's like direct callbacks like uh, to the Mauve zone and um, to the stuff about how uh, Kenneth Grant had this theory that the Trinity test was w- what unleashed like, you know, the UFOs and all of these other weird entities into the world because it ripped a hole in reality. Um, and I don't know. It's just it's odd because, you know, obviously Twin Peaks is like a fictional thing. But sort of the ideas it was working with weren't entirely fictional. It was like stuff that Kenneth Grant had been writing about and stuff that he sincerely believed was true. Um, 
But then again, too, it's also it's Kenneth Grant. So <laughs> Kenneth Grant believed a lot of things. Um, I don't know. I don't know where I'm I'll going with this. that. I'll tell you, the, the flannel man reports are getting freakier and freakier, uh, including flannel man witnesses. Uh, guy, guy who listens to my show said uh, some symbols appeared to him that were black on black and they scrolled he said the symbols were blacker than a, the black background and uh he sketched them out for me this is before he saw a, a flat man type entity and uh they were symbols that i had drawn and never shown anyone they were um protection symbols sigils i i had made and uh he's almost certain that's what he saw were these sigils i had made you know a year beforehand and never shown anyone they were for personal use um, and then I have another woman who's a repeat. She's one of the few people who sees this thing repeatedly. She often gets uh, precognitive dreams when, you know, shortly after seeing this entity or, or sometimes in the same night as seeing him. And she predicted a, a shooting in Kentucky with uh, some pretty scary accuracy. What? Oh, so, and this is associated with the, uh, with the, the flannel guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's just so weird. Uh, elaborate a little bit on Flannel Man being this in-between figure to the real wild man, like you said, to Bigfoot. Like he's a well. A it's step. it's hard for me not to see the wild man archetype as being super important, just because I, I mean, Josh and I are up for our years in this thing now. It's, it's it's where we're living. And yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I just started thinking as the as all these thing, all these different things are are wild man. I mean, Odin was a wild man. Yeah. You, you know, we Santa Claus yeah. is a wild man. I mean, absolutely. You know, without Sa- satyrs, Pan, yeah, yeah, the Satan. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. crazy. Do you think this it's becomes crazy. more more important because we are seemingly becoming further from nature? That this is like something pulling us back or reminding well, us. Well, one of the one of the things Josh and I talk about is is in the book is that the the archetype of the wild man has changed over time. And if you look at the the even the reports, the Bigfoot reports in my books, which are from the 1800s, often it's like a, they'll describe him as a man, you know, a hairy man, sometimes even wearing you know clothes, and uh, sometimes even carrying like a. a, a non-functional musket, you know, but otherwise, you know, eight foot tall and covered in hair. And it's a lot more, they're a lot more manlike. And then it seems like the, I mean, my feeling is that the further we get away from nature, the wilder our wild man becomes. Well, that, that and the fact that, you know, if you look at the way that the UFO, the UFO uh, phenomena tends to recontextualize itself, becoming more sophisticated, staying a step, you know, ahead of us. And becoming more sophisticated from, you know, Magonian balloons to airships to flying saucers to black triangles to et cetera, et cetera. It's almost like the wild man archetype is doing this in reverse. It's going from being more sophisticated, you know. If you look at the medieval wild man basically being an omnipotent fairy or sort of someone who knows the ways of the world to this sort Berlin. of – Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a feralized human being to now, oh, it's just a monkey. You know, it's yeah. almost like it's sort of there, – there's, there's sort of these <laughs> – the UFO and the wild man archetype are passing each other in the night <laughs> going in different <laughs> ways in the spectrum. Yeah. Mind blown, guys. Wow. I have a headache. 
right now. <laughs> hey, I had a question for Josh real quick because I haven't even thought to ask you this. Is there any sort of fairy parallel with the flannel man stuff? That, I mean, like the, the idea of like a woodsman figure. Fairies wear flannel. You got to believe me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, I would say so in that sort of, you know, that sort of wood woes, wood woes sort of thing sort of sort of it tied into the to the uh to the wild man archetype i think that's really sort of the the linchpin between fairy folk and uh and uh and and flannel man um as far as like a direct analog i mean i mean unless you want to go dwarven with you know beards and mining implements or something that's that's about it i i have not found anything that off the top of my head that really makes a correspondence there. Um, I've even looked into, have you found anything, any sort of archetypal significance to the tartan pattern? Because I've looked into that briefly, Tim, and I didn't find anything that really seems to have any sort of significance there. I mean, obviously yeah. tartan is a, is a Scottish sort of thing. So that's, yeah. that, that has, you know, a place robust. Fairy yeah. Lore, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, nothing that's, that's jumped out and, you know, hit me over the head as aha, or, you know, it, it's uh, it whatever you know. The, the paranormal uh, tailor got a deal on a bolt of red flannel fabric at some point. I think. I mean, I, I will say that I will say that the woodsman. I will say that the woodsman as an archetype sort of occupies a similar role. I would say, Tim. And we haven't really talked about this. So I'm spitballing here, but a similar role to like the the, the blacksmith in a lot of these fairy tales. Um, you know, the woodsman rescuing the damsel in distress, yeah. the woodsman sort of being a stand in for a hero character, just like the blacksmith would be. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <clears throat> but it is hard to find a character in mythology that immediately brings to mind uh, plaid or tartan. I mean, again, I, I did think of Santa Claus, but I don't know if, if early versions of St. Nicholas were, you know, or whatever, you know, the spirit of Santa Claus was supposed to be is associated with plaid, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm searching my brain. This is a, this is a real, this is a head scratcher. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, it's, and it's part of my life now. Well, <laughs> <continue>. <laughs> you know, you know, Santa Claus is sort of drawn out of that sort of a green man foliate motif, which has links to Odin, you know, as well. Right. Um, right. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, you know the interesting, the compelling thing about Santa Claus is that you know what does Santa Claus do? Well, he cavorts with elves and he runs around your roof and he, you know, comes yep. in through your chimney without you know without opening your doors and um, does a lot of things right, that we you, but, associate but, with. Yeah, well, as far as associate pattern, with yeah. what? Well, yeah, well, I was going to say, but you do inv- you invite him in though? You invite him in by by leaving gifts and offerings, uh, hanging a stocking. I mean, there is yeah, you're right. It's this uh, it. it it connects up with a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as far as, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there, there's, there's a certain, certain sort of brand of, uh, of wrapping paper that definitely has sort of a tartan motif, Tim, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, well, yeah, it, I mean, it's a I, stretch, it, but I was thinking about like just going to its most basic, uh, just essence of intersecting horizontal vertical lines and, checkered and that has you know that's where the cross is from that's where the mm. uh, checkered floor of the masonic lodge is i mean real stretch but you know and that's got the scottish uh, roots too so no i mean if you boiled it down i think there'll probably be a yeah that's a that's a 
pretty prescient observation, actually. We just <laughs> we, we just tied the Masons into oh, Bigfoot yeah, Cattlemen. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, <laughs> that's a that's a conspiratorial first. Uh, got Josh and Tim. Anything in your book that uh, you guys are working on that you have found that is surprising you? That is new to you. I mean, what's uh, I mean, I mean, with all along the way, I mean, I think Josh and I keep just, you know, first of all, we're sharing our research back and forth. And I mean, there's some things, I, yeah, I don't know how much we want to give away <laughs> before, before we actually get the book out. What you think, whatever you're comfortable with, guys. I know. Well, it's, I it's, mean, uh, I guess I'll say so to sort of give an, a, a sort of a little bit of the background on this book. Um, uh, what, what's the way that you suggested that we put it, Tim, so that we don't sound like dicks <laughs> comparing ourselves to the way? Um, I, I think what this book, I, I hope that this book can can be a, a moment for the Bigfoot community. I'm not comparing either Tim nor I to being the sort of thinker or writer that Valet was, but I'm hoping that this book will be sort of big, the Bigfoot community's passport to Magonia moment in the sense that it says there's a vast amount of folklore that corresponds to a lot of these things that you're saying. It's not explicative. It doesn't say what this is, but there's a vast amount of folklore that the community has sort of been ignoring because they've had this particular pet idea and really it's just completely baked into worldwide culture um you know one of the things that i find fascinating and this is just a small example um this um this idea that um footprints for example in fairy lore were sometimes deliberately um they were designed to deliberately confuse people who tried to track down the fairies to the point that some fairies had their feet on backwards or they would uh, be, have the ability to turn their feet around. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you'll find that in the new world and in the old world. Of course, you can argue that a lot of the new world fairy stuff, uh, especially in like Latin America and the Caribbean are, are old world imports. But, uh, you, I've found similar folk tales of, uh, the, uh, I believe it's the Ibu Goga from you know South uh, Island Southeast Asia um, that has supposedly backwards feet uh, Yetis that have their heels facing forwards. Um, uh, some Australian Aboriginal lore about you know the Yahoos, not Yahoos and not Yahoos, but Yahoos, large cannibal giants that uh, have the ability to turn their feet around to confound people, and that's sort of the sort of thing that I always find really interesting is this cross cultural consistency and cross cultural similarity um, between a lot of these different things. Across oceans, you know, yeah. um, which I think it implies some sort of objective reality to these things. And we've made, and I, I think I brought up this point on Conspiracy Normal before about how the Bigfoot community is in love with Native American mythology, and uh, they love to point to all these different names that Native Americans have for the creature, and that's great. I mean, I think I think we should we should absolutely honor that those traditions and and try to learn from them. But as soon as those traditions say that the creature, you know, dissolves and goes to another, you know, a spiritual place. Well, then it's out the window. They're happy to use the name for it. <laughs> but, but when the myth involves it, you know, being a completely spiritual or supernatural creature, that goes out the window. That's like, no, it's just, then it's almost like, um, you know, that, that part doesn't count, which is rather offensive on some level. 
But if you look at the tradition of wild men all over the world, you don't have to dig very far to find a European tradition of wild men. We had that before we came over to, to the new world. And almost universally in that tradition, it wasn't a natural creature. It's never been seen as a natural creature. It's been supernatural across the board. It's a rarity that people right. talk about them as some kind of natural creature. Right. So you've got sort of a variation on, I would argue, a variation on sort of the ancient aliens trope. Well, these people were superstitious. They thought that these were some sort of spirit beings, but they were actually describing aliens because they were, you know, so primitive they didn't know what they were talking about. Um, and uh, you know, you can't paint indigenous cultures as being a monolith, but uh, I think that. <sighs> I think that sometimes if, if, if indigenous people say that these things can turn invisible at will, then don't say, oh, no, they're just really good at hiding. Like, these people had <laughs> tens of, of thousands, if not, you know, as we continue pushing the time scale back even longer to really sort of get to know their environment, just as well as some sort of Bigfoot that somehow knows how to camouflage itself to appear like a tree stump or some of this other ridiculous stuff that people say. Um, and they, what's really been are, interesting are they, is... Are they cover their own tracks? They walk backwards and all that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they, oh, yeah. That's, my, that's yeah. one of my favorites. The, 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 no. uh, they tiptoe backwards through their own tracks. Uh, so the, I, it's completely bizarre thinking, honestly. So... Like, so the the book the book covers a bunch of different topics, but obviously, um, uh, you know, um, Bigfoot, where Bigfoot intersects with that sort of alien fairy angle, which has never really been done, you know, over the course of twenty thousand words before. <laughs> um, Bigfoot and altered states of consciousness, Bigfoot and ghosts, Bigfoot, anomalous Bigfoot tracks, anomalous Bigfoot trackways, Bigfoot's ability to mimic and in some cases shapeshift, uh, you know, the similarities between Bigfoot and poltergeist encounters and Bigfoot and witches, which is something that I never really thought I'd find. Tim made a discovery. I'd, I'd have to say that consistently Tim's discovery, Tim's connection of women in white to Bigfoot encounters is something that just completely baffles me. And I keep on coming back to it because he told me that, you know, well, every time you have these, not every time, but oftentimes you'll have these cryptid encounters and there'll be a woman in white associated with it. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? I've never heard this, never seen any crow. Operation and and he's completely changed my mind on it. Like there's there's something there's something there. It's not a hard and fast rule, but there's some sort of connection there, um, which I think is sort of maybe tangentially tied to witches and fairies as well. Wait, so what is this? Is the because the woman in white and and they're seen at the same time, or what's the connection here? Often, not always seen at the same time. Often, uh, there will be women in white, like specter legend in the same place that Bigfoot sightings pop up. And uh, right. sometimes they'll be, they're connected. The, the women in white will somehow be um, connected to them in the sense that they're they're seen as the, the feminine opposite, depending on the mythology. Sometimes they're the feminine opposite. Beauty of, and the Beast. Of these, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. And, wow. Uh, some, Sometimes they say they they lead them like either literally or, or figuratively. Um, they're they're leading these uh, these creatures. It's just it's. I mean, the the information's there. You know, I've I've dug it. I've, wow. I was, and even when Josh was like, I don't know, I was like, well, I, I keep running into it, so I'm going to dig into it. And then by the time I was done, the historical end of the research, I was like, oh yeah, there's there's real meat here. Then you oh have my the, god! The, to the point so that the, the thing that the thing that we have found consistently baffling was this old English phrase. Um, how does it go, Tim? Oh, there, well, there's so many different variants of it. Um, what is it? Uh, oh my goodness! 
it'll be easier for me to just open up the document. Um, them, them that dies maids uh, lead apes in hell, or variants thereof. How does it go again? Repeat that. So um, let me find. Let me get the actual. Um, the Thomas Campion quote is probably the best one. Putting on the spot here. Uh, how, how, how old is this, Tim? What was this date? Oh, this from? goes back to to the Renaissance. Okay. Okay, so this is from a Thomas Campion song. So it would have been a lute song uh, from the Elizabethan time. So uh, they that yet have not fed on delights amorous, she vows that they shall lead apes in Avernus. And she, in this sense, would be uh, Proserpina, which is she was in the Renaissance the queen of the fairies. So we have this fairy connection, but uh, basically it's saying that, that uh, maids or women in white, as that is the virginal color, shall lead apes in hell. And uh, this has been the, an incredible connection that has, you know, woven its way through this whole, this whole idea of the women in white. And uh, it's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> it really is. What about the, wow, the- that, that is amazing. What That's about so the great. supposed uh, attraction to menstrual blood? Like Bigfoot's attraction to it. Yeah, t- Tim and I Tim and I have talked about that. I don't know if he's he's going to incorporate some of that, but you know, that's that's something that uh Brandon talks about in Rebirth yeah. of Pan. Yeah, that's why And uh, that. again, again the idea that <laughs> if if you if Bigfoot are attracted by menses, well, people who you know, ladies who were having their period are not pregnant. And obviously, like, you know, the people who can most consistently have interrupted, uninterrupted, rather, uh, periods are probably maids, probably virgins. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's sort of, yeah. it seems, it seems part yeah. and parcel of that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it kind of feels like it's tied in. And, and I mean, I've, I've <laughs> going on several local investigations, which, Bigfoot investigations, which have women and white connections. I mean, it's, it's really, really bizarre to the point where I kind of. I kind of asked that now. Any trailer parks? You know. No. <laughs> Not you a lot of women in white in the trailer park. Well, you know, do you know what I'm talking about, Josh? Also from Rebirth of Pan? And, and, yeah, no, no, yeah. Yeah. And now, well, you I mean, got, that's, now you guys have rendered Ren silent. I don't know. <laughs> no, I was just about to ask about, you You mentioned poor Sapina, right? As the um, ruling the apes in hell thing. Um. I mean, you know that she's basically like a combination of uh, another like Roman goddess and um, Persephone from Greek myth. Right. And yeah. and like one thing that I've been getting into recently is that um, when the Greeks would do necromantic uh, rituals, one of the gods you would petition would be Persephone, specifically Persephone and Hades. Um, but you have that connection to not only the the fairy stuff with Proserpina, but also a connection to the dead with Persephone. Um, who, well, lots of people think that the Persephone myth is where the food taboo comes from. You know, the don't yep. eat food fairyland thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it, yeah, it made me think about your whole um, the thing that you said, Josh, about this all being sort of one big ghost story. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, I'm 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 there. I mean, it's like I've said before, if if the alien contact experience as we currently know it is practically indistinguishable from fairy lore. And I'd argue that, I mean, if, if you're not saying that there are some significant similarities there, you're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. And if fairies in, you know, a lot of worldwide culture, but particularly, you know, Western Europe cavorted with the dead, 
God, where does or, that leave us? Like, or you know, possibly are we, the dead themselves. Or possibly are the dead, yeah. Where does that leave us, you know, vis-a-vis the fact that Bigfoot are often seen with these things, too, and that, uh, you know, that you have people like Ann Streber telling Whitley, you know, Whitley, this has something to do with what we call death. I mean, yeah. I kind of think that, like you said, I, I or like you said, I said, <laughs> um, I feel like uh, I feel like sometimes we're just dealing with a giant ghost story that is full of a cast of characters that are not only the, you know, the uh, the restless dead and and, uh, you know, all of us who have gone before us, but also these sort of psycho pumps and these sort of stagehands that are ushering things on and off stage, as it were. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have a lot of the early church fathers, specifically Augustine, um, saying that that demons and pagan gods um, literally were like basically the heroic dead or, you know, human kings that had died and had been sort of, um, you know, undergone apotheosis upon death by the people who used to um, follow them. And so you have this sort of growth of pagan culture from ancestor worship and, well, and, and that's, yeah. And that, that's sort of a thorny thing too. Well, I'm sorry. Go yeah. ahead and that. No, that's, that's exactly what I was going to say um, because on one hand that sort of, all, it sort of denies the agency of the maybe external reality of these entities. But on the other hand, it does bring up an interesting point. Like if, if something, if the human dead stick around on for whatever reason, how long does it take before you're not really human anymore? Like how long do you have to live? Mm-hmm before you start being something other than human. No, that's an excellent point. And, you know, I, I also think that a lot of people who want to point in one direction or the other through these things really dismiss human beings' ability to syncretize. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, because, I mean, there is significant evidence for the fact that somebody, you know, a great warrior chieftain buried at a particular spring sort of became the genus loci of that space. But mm-hmm. it's also tied into older stuff, too. And I think it's just I think it's like Santa Claus. It's like Easter. It's like a lot of these things. We as human beings try to streamline a lot of these uh, beliefs into one sort of, you know, we, we like I said, we syncretize. Yeah. And so another reality, thing. Go ahead, Tim. Another thing we're finding, which, um, you know, not, <laughs> Josh and I are going to be loved and hated, I think, when this book comes out. But uh, another thing we're finding is a lot of these hallmark Bigfoot cases that have been reported over the years have a distinct uh, weird quality that has just been absolutely ignored when you go back to uh, when you find alternate documentation other than than just the reports uh that that we've been given for four. I go so far. I go so far as to say suppressed. Actually, actually, yeah. yeah. I mean, you were telling me about the Ape Canyon stuff, Tim, which I'd never heard before because I'd only oh. heard the um, the modified version. Ape Canyon is a bizarro catalog of paranormal weirdness that completely goes ignored. You only hear about monkeys being shot. Yeah. Are you familiar with the Ape Canyon story, Richard? No. What is this? So the, the basic story, I'll let Tim do the, the cool version of the story. I'll do the boring version. <laughs> the boring version is that a bunch of, uh, oh, were, were, they, were they miners, Tim? Yeah, they were, they were, mi- they were uh, prospectors. Yeah, yeah. So. They're all, no, they're, they were all older than 18. <laughs> uh, <laughs> breaking nice out one. the dad joke. I'm proud of you. New dad. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So all these miners went up into the woods, basically saw these weird ape creatures, shot one, um, and then that night uh, were basically besieged by these, uh, you know, hairy apes in the woods that threw rocks and tried to break into the cabin. Yeah, this was like in the 20s, I think. 
Yeah. Huh. Now, this is the story that you'll hear on, you know, Bigfoot podcasts and, and popular culture. But um, Tim recently told me the, that that story is actually, in reality, a lot stranger. And I'll let him handle that part. Yeah. So uh, one of the guys that was there wrote uh, with his son, wrote the story down in the, I believe, in the 60s. So this is some years later. The Ape Canyon thing took place in 1924, like the, the supposed attack. But uh, it basically starts with these miners see this vision of a giant Indian uh, who tells them to follow a white arrow to into the wilderness. They follow this. A, a white arrow in the sky. A giant white yeah. arrow in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They follow this white arrow in the sky. Along the way, they meet another woman who happens to be named Vander White, uh, a, a spirit woman, not a natural woman. She's a, a, a female spirit. That was a comforting presence, they said. Uh, they follow this arrow to what becomes their gold mine, which they then name after this female spirit. They name it the Vander White Mine. The, they're there sometime, I think it's months before they ever actually see the creatures. They are, they're hearing sounds, but they're hearing like machinery in the ground. And oh, By the way, Tim, did you point out Vander White? I, I thought I did. Yeah. yeah. No. But what about, I mean, like the fact that it was a lady named Vander White, a right, white lady. Exactly. Yeah, a white. She she was essentially a white lady. They don't describe her appearance, but her name is Vander White. And uh, I mean, they're hearing weird sounds. They're getting uh, a ports, or is it apports? They're getting anyway. They they uh, just all kinds of this you know menu of weirdness before they ever see a creature. They're finding single footprints in the in the middle of a. They said it was an acre wide field of like soft mud. And there was one single footprint in the middle of it there, you know, it's, it's like they literally described it as, you know, it's something had to pick this thing up out of the sky and, uh, and put it down there and pick it up again. That's the only way it could, it could have uh, left one footprint in the middle of this, this uh, vast field of mud. Uh, so, you know, it's just one weird thing after another before they, they eventually end up seeing the creatures and then, you know, then the attack happens. And, but, uh, that is the part that's cherry picked by all the Bigfoot books, just the, the shooting of the creature, the attack and them, them leaving the following day. Well, I didn't tell you, uh, Tim, but I found, I found a Rene DeHendon quote where he actually says, I think Fred Beck just got a little weird in his old age. Oh it's yeah. like, okay, that's, 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 that's completely intellectually honest. Good job. Yeah. And then you found a separate account, Josh, right? Where it said somebody went up there, found the cabin and only found, was it left or right footprints? They found, found, uh, they found a track of prints around the cabin, but it was only of the left or yeah, like you said, left or right footprint. It was all like a one legged trackway. And you find some of these one legged trackways. They're few and far between, but you find them as well. What in the world? Um, What in the world? Yeah. So Fred Beck himself, the the miner who wrote the article, and this is in the 60s, he's got this wonderful theory where he says, first of all, he says, no one's going to capture these things. You can go out and hunt them all you want. You're not going to be able to capture one. He said, we knew we knew they were supernatural at the time. I'm telling you, they're supernatural now. Um, And he said, there's something about them that he said, not always, but often they need people to manifest. They need us to be there to, to actually, you know, take physical form, which whether he's right or wrong, it, I mean, that sounds a lot like the kind of ideas we're talking about today with things like co-creation. Right. Exactly. 
Exactly. Have you guys, uh, are you guys familiar with the, uh, that documentary, uh, Love and Saucers? The, uh, this, the, uh, oh God, his name. Um, shit. Greg Bishop it's, is yelling uh, at me somewhere. It's, uh, David Huggins. David Huggins. And yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a there's a book associated uh, that uh, that reprints almost all of his paintings called "Love in an Alien Purgatory." But what you should know is that on page fourteen, there's a painting uh, that this guy did because he painted all of his encounters with uh, the various aliens that that mostly look like traditional aliens, and one of them looks like an insect, but one of them is uh, a creature that David refers. To as hairy guy, and he's a really short Bigfoot coming out of the woods, and he is uh, basically a familiar of this whole uh, phenomenon. Uh, but he's but he's short, but he's got thick, dark brown colored hair and uh, large glowing eyes. So it's almost an exact cross between like a gray and Bigfoot. Hmm. Really, so uh, yeah, the, 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 the the gray Bigfoot hybrid is a hybrid, hybrid sort of appearance. I am not sure I've ever heard that. It's crazy. Um, yeah. I wasn't, was he wearing flannel too? Wear that. <laughs> you can, yeah. Um, you can it's, yeah, it's on. It's on page fourteen. It's, there's a painting of it in the description, and I'm sure it recurs throughout the book. But um, but yeah, if you check out a book called Love in an Alien Purgatory, you can see it. Yeah. That's the guy who says that he periodically would have sex with this alien woman. That's that, oh, is that the guy. He lost yeah. his virginity. To right. Her. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I, I've, I've seen that documentary. It is absolutely fascinating. Um, yeah, yeah. It's really good. It's really well done. Yeah. Well, I mean, Whitley Strieber comes straight out into the supernatural and says that, um, you know, Gray taught him how to go down on a woman. So, <laughs> I mean, these things happen. And on that note, I think that that's the, that's the place to end, the, end this section, guys. Um, I, was, I was waiting for the perfect moment. Bigfoot taught me how to be alone. Guys. Um, it's, it's, hey, listen, it's, it's been such an honor to be on your final episode. <laughs> Let's... Um, Go down the list here, guys. Uh, tell everybody Go what down. you guys got going on next. Um, <laughs> we uh, so we'll start with you, Ren. Okay. Um, you can uh, find me uh, right at liminalroom.com. Uh, um, I also have uh, some cool stuff if you want to play with uh, Alan Greenfield's Secret Cipher, the Ufonauts. Uh, you should head on over to naeq.io. And I'm also on Twitter at Mr. Underscore A Paul. All right. Tim? Oh. They call him Tim. Strange Familiars. They do. StrangeFamiliars.com. That's my podcast now weekly. And uh, you can find lots of Flannel Man and Bigfoot and other kinds of crazy stuff there. And then uh, my books are on Amazon. Uh, Look up Timothy Renner. My latest is Don't Look Behind You. First time I write about uh, a lot of the weird stuff I've experienced on uh, Bigfoot investigations and similar outings. Mr. Cutchin? Um, JoshuaCutchin.com. Don't expect any blog posts for a while because I'm working on this, <laughs> this uh, book with Tim, uh, which should be out sometime in uh, 
late 2019, but it's uh, we're both really excited about it, and uh, all my other books are available through Amazon. And Richard? Well, I hang out with uh, most or all of you guys on Twitter. I'm at... Uh, at Richard Haddam, so it's pretty easy to find. And uh, during the day, I'm uh, working on season two of Titans. So nice. if you've got a, a spare uh, a $7.99 a month uh, to, uh, uh, to subscribe to DC Universe, you can see uh, the live-action version of all your favorite DC Titans characters uh, going crazy. All right, we're going to close this section out. And, uh, guys, we'll be back to close out the show at our 250th episode on... Conspiranormal. Wow. Yeah, my brain is fried. Epic. Yeah. That was extremely epic. Uh, we won't belabor the point too much here, but um, we're just coming back. Just to say, because I think we did was a, was like an hour and forty five minutes that yeah. we did with those guys, yeah. And then we did fifteen or twenty more minutes with them on Patreon. So we're gonna have a, another Patreon episode to put up, which I'm very happy about, for sure. I almost didn't do it because because we're about to lose Rob. He starts to like fade silently, fade away. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I'm all right. <laughs> Fine, guys. It's okay. <laughs> but we're glad that you're here, Rob. Hell yeah. For man. sure. And I think you're going to be uh, with us a little more in the next few months. That's what we're hoping. It's possible. <laughs> still, still seeing how everything pans out. <laughs> <laughs> things things will pan out in the end. Uh, pan out. Serfiel, you need any... Uh, thoughts man oh, too many man i'm just <laughs> yeah when, the, when you mentioned the trinity test stuff i was about to mention downard but i didn't really want to go down that rabbit hole. i like how i uh cracked the esoteric symbolism of flannel yeah <laughs> yeah i think you you made the, the 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 real um connection between bigfoot and the freemasons <laughs> <laughs> that, that might be a, a, another like an addendum chapter in their book yeah yeah so yeah uh we mentioned patreon there rob you can tell them about it yeah if you want to support the show uh we have a patreon account there's lots of bonus episodes bonus content uh we try to put stuff up there every month um check it out there's different tiers you can subscribe to uh, if you don't want to subscribe, you can do a one-time donation on our website. And if you don't want to spend money but you want to support the show, best way to do that is just tell your friends. Um, go on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen, and give us a nice five-star review. Or just reach out to us through an email. You know, all that all that little bit of support, everything you do helps, and that's why we're here. I'll be changing up some tiers on Patreon mm-hmm. um, here pretty soon. Um, we're going to... I'm trying to, we're still trying to kind of figure out what we're going to do, but I'm thinking possibly making it as like as low as a dollar for people to get, to get the access to the shows. The bonus. So I'm not quite sure exactly what we're going to do yet, but I'm thinking about keeping things kind of low. Well, yeah. And we've been, you know, we've, we've flirted with a couple of sponsors, you know, that, that we're kind of, kind of afraid to go any further with him. You might've heard it on the, the last show there, you know, but, uh, uh yeah, really well, we need your support on right. Patreon so we don't have to, uh, 
you know. Yeah, we don't want to depend on those AI robots from the future. Yeah, man. Um, but uh, they're the only sponsors that we have right now. So we really do need that Patreon help. Um, they may put the, something the into our mafia brain has approached at us some too, point. and we really don't want to censor ourselves. Yeah, you know, so. yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. We got a we got a few couple other people that have been have have expressed some interest. So you, I don't know. You may hear from them on the show as well. So we want to keep the narrative free, you know, here. But you know, we we got bills to pay. So. Yeah, uh, it's got to keep the lights on, man. And uh, we got two. We got two studios. We got to take care of. You know, we got to keep the lights on. We, we we should do a pledge drive, like a <laughs> like, like a, a PBS pledge like a PBS drive. Call-a-thon. Yeah. yeah, just gonna turn up the guilt on you guys. Sorry. <laughs> but, yep. yep. I mean, we need like we need to have we need more like hot girls in the show or something. That's what we that's what we probably really need. Yeah, but, you know that's what everybody responds to. Like a Spuds McKenzie beer commercial from the 1980s. All right. All right. On that point, guys, I'd like to thank uh, Josh Cutchin, Timothy Renner, Richard Haddam, and Ren Collier, and you two guys. 250. And the listeners that have helped us with encouragement to get us to episode 250 and about 50 more episodes, 300. And I'm hoping that's going to be a big event. But we will be back next week with a romper room episode that Serfiel and I have already recorded so you will hear that and then we'll have some guests along and uh, be back next time on Conspiranormal
know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.